Welcome to Stories from the Revolution podcast. I'm John White, and this is episode number 34. The revolution that we are talking about is the massive spiritual paradigm shift that is currently underway in the U.S. and around the world. In these stories, I'm describing what the revolution looks like and how you can join in. And I just want to say that it is so encouraging these days. This is an amazing time to be alive. On a daily basis, we see people who are being drawn into this revolution uh, by the Lord. It's, um, it's a great time to be alive. So in episode 33, the last episode, I told you that there are five core values that we in the Luke 10 community believe are at the heart of the revolution. And I began an examination of the second of those core values. Um, that's the one uh, where we value being Jesus-led. And we'll be talking about this core value of being Jesus-led for a number of episodes to come. Now, you might respond with, well, of course we are Jesus-led. I mean, isn't that what Christians are? Uh, by, sort of by definition, that's obvious. Why is that revolutionary or countercultural in the context of Christian ministry. Well, it's countercultural primarily because of one thing. It's the hidden and pervasive influence of something called functional deism. This is a term that I learned from one of my professors uh, at Fuller Seminary, Dr. Charles Kraft. Um, he said that functional deism is an insidious virus that has invaded much of the Christian world. In coming episodes, I'm going to be bringing that virus to light so we can examine it. You can see if it's relevant to your life and to your world. Dr. Kraft will be one of our main mentors in this examination. I'll talk about <clears throat> where functional deism came from, how it works, and I'll give you some examples of what it looks like. So think with me about this and see if you can begin to see if this virus has been at work in your world. Here's one example that I want to share with you. This is something that took place many years ago when I was in seminary, uh, Fuller Seminary in the early 70s. Now, I wasn't aware of this at the time. I couldn't have named it. It's only in retrospect that I can now see what was going on. And you may say that took place a long time ago, but I think it's relevant. Uh, for what's going on today. It illustrates um, this principle of functional or practicing deism. So what has occurred to me as I look back um, is that not one time during my four years of seminary did I ever experience one of my professors inviting us students to listen to Jesus about what he might want to say about a particular topic we were studying. Not once in four years did a professor stop class and say, let's take five minutes and ask Jesus what he wants us to know about this particular passage of scripture, for instance. Now, these were some of the world's greatest evangelical scholars. I have no doubt that all of them loved God. I think if you asked them if they believed that Jesus was present, they would have said, yes, of course. But never once did they model or practice being Jesus-led in the present in class. 
We spend hundreds of hours studying about God, about the Bible, about the church. We were being trained to be pastors and church leaders. But the idea of developing an intimate conversational relationship with God was never even considered to be part of the curriculum. How in the world could that be? My professors, I'm sure, would have objected vigorously if somebody had called them deists. But in practice, this stealthy virus had invaded the culture of our seminary, and I think most seminaries. Of course, um, uh, everybody believed that God was present. That was our theology. But they acted as though God wasn't present. That's the functional in the phrase functional deism. One Fuller professor who began to see these things clearly was Dr. Charles Kraft, who I've mentioned to you previously. Uh, in the 1980s, he went through what we would call a paradigm shift uh, in this regard uh, while he was a seminary professor. Now, I'll tell you that story in later episodes, but he explains all of this in his book, Christianity with Power, your worldview and your experience of the supernatural. So I'm gonna to continue to quote from that book. Here's, here's one quote that I think was really helpful. He says, though we evangelicals would contend that deism embodies an unacceptable, even heretical understanding of God's relation to the universe, I am afraid that we may have been infected. I have found altogether too much similarity between my own basic assumptions and those of deists. Now remember what a deist believes. They, they believe that there is some sort of a God who created everything, but now he is withdrawn, he's distant, and so an intimate conversational relationship with God is not possible. Kraft is saying that theologically that's heresy, but in practice, that's how he and other Christians, including seminary professors, that's how they operated. And as he said, we may have been infected. So Kraft goes on in this quote. He says, we as evangelicals have maintained stoutly, I love that word, stoutly, that God once did miraculous things. These are things recorded in the scripture. And God will again do such things at the close of the age. So we're talking about the past, we're talking about the future. But in the present day, however, Kraft says, we tend to believe that God has stopped talking and doing the incredible things that we read about in scripture. Now we see God limiting himself to working through the Bible, which he says in parenthesis is the inspired record of what God used to do. The speaking he used to do now comes indirectly through rationalistic reasoning in books, lectures, and sermons. Um, that is such a powerful quote, I think. Now, there are many expressions of functional deism that we'll take a look at, uh, but I'm gonna suggest that perhaps the, the single most important expression of functional deism at work is the failure to simply ask Jesus what he wants to say about something. I love this little question. So Jesus, what do you want us to know about, fill in the blank, this passage of scripture, this ministry situation, this issue in my life, you know, whatever it is. Um, that is the failure to be Jesus-led. 
In this episode, I want to point out that learning to be Jesus-led follows naturally from understanding who Jesus is. There are many names ascribed to Jesus, but at his birth, there are a couple that stand out. I want to read a couple of verses from Matthew uh, chapter 1. Here's what it says, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, and by the way, this would be an example of being Jesus-led or angel-led. Uh, the Lord is speaking through the angel here. Here's the message. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, quote, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So, Joseph is instructed by the angel to call this boy Jesus uh, because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, or Yeshua in Hebrew, means the Lord saves. Then Matthew connects this birth with the prophecy of Isaiah 700 years earlier. Isaiah 7, quote, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. This is a Hebrew word, two parts to it. The L at the end of it, Emmanuel, L is one of the Hebrew words for God. And the first part of the word, Emmanuel, means with us, God with us. So think with me for a moment about just the implications of this name, Emmanuel, God with us. In Jesus, God is present with us now, in the here and now. Uh, lots of other verses about this that uh, say a similar kind of thing. One of my favorite is Matthew 18, where Jesus says, whenever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there. Jesus is present uh, with his people when they gather in his name. So thinking about this leads me to a series of questions, which I think every follower of Jesus needs to ask and, and sort of watch where these questions, four questions, watch where this leads us. This is really fun to kind of ask these questions to people um, because it exposes, I think, functional deism. Here's the first question. Is Jesus, Jesus present with us? Answer, yes, of course. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Okay. Second question. If he's present, does he speak? Answer is, again, yes, a resounding yes. John 10, 27, among other passages. Jesus says, my sheep are continually hearing my voice. And by the way, uh, his communication is not limited to his voice. He communicates with us in many ways. Uh, Jesus is always talking. He's interested in intimate conversational relationship. Question number three. If he is present and if he speaks, what is his role in the church? 
or in my life. Um, so Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the head or the leader of the church. Think about the implications of that. Uh, doesn't it mean in practice that the leader is the one who brings the agenda when we gather? So it's not my job to figure out what we're going to do, whether it's in a house church or a larger gathering. Jesus is the head of the church. And then we say, no, really, Jesus is the head of the church, which means that he's the one who brings the agenda. The question when we gather with his people, same simple question. So Jesus, what do you want to say to your church today? Shouldn't that be the question we're asking whenever we gather together? You see, in some ways, Bible study, and again, please understand me, I'm committed to scripture, but Bible study, the record of what God is used to do, has in some ways taken the place of asking that question and of listening to what he wants to say to us. This sounds strange, please understand me, but in some cases, at least in my life, Bible study has actually been a form of functional deism. It keeps me from listening to Jesus today, makes me into an analytical uh, approach to my relationship with the Lord. There's another passage, Matthew 16. Jesus says to Peter, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So it's his church, not mine. He's building it, not me. So the appropriate question is, so Jesus, how do you want to build your church today? That's what it means in practice, I think, to be Jesus-led. All right, this is the fourth question. If he's present, if he speaks, and if he's our leader, we could use the word teacher or as our coach, our Lord, doesn't it follow that our prime objective would be learning to be Jesus-led? Learning to be Jesus-led myself, and then teach other people. And so I think the answer is, of course it does. To be asking him repeatedly, what is it, Jesus, that you want us to know? What is it that you want us to do? This is why one of the, the prime objectives of our Church 101 course, and really all of our training in Luke 10, is to practice asking Jesus those questions and listening for his answers. That's what Followers of Jesus do naturally, unless, unless we have been, as Dr. Kraft wrote, unintentionally and unknowingly infected with functional deism. Going back to Dr. Kraft again, same quote. Now we see God limiting himself to working through the Bible, parenthesis, the inspired record of what he used to do. The speaking he used to do now comes indirectly through rationalistic reasoning in books, lectures, and sermons. Let me be clear so you're not misunderstanding me. I'm totally committed to the Bible. I love studying the Bible. But what the Bible points to is that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And that's what causes me to be passionate about being Jesus-led. And it's what causes the Luke 10 community to be passionate about calling followers of Jesus to this paradigm shift. This is one of the core values that's at the heart of this revolution that we think is underway. Well, more to come on all of this in the next episode. For now, this is John White. I'm excited about the revolution that's underway. I hope you are. 
And I'm so glad that Jesus's identity is as Emmanuel. Um, he is with us. And that identity, that value is being recovered, the practical outworking of it, that this is more than just a great song about Emmanuel. This is the practice of listening to the God who is with us, who is inviting us to continually hear his voice. We are invited to be Jesus-led. And I'm also excited to be on the journey with you.